Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who's a Black American who sadly lost their life to COVID-19. I was inspired by Zora Neale Hurston, the anthropologist and author, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African-American history and culture. I'll share a little bit about me and my family before I introduce my guest today. I'm a Black American. My dad was African-American and Indigenous American. My mother is Jamaican-American. I'm a fourth-generation teacher. My mom is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York City for 20 years. And my great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica in the late 1800s up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. And she stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a woman to work after she got married back then. Ironically, my mom began working long after she got married in the late 1900s, either the 1980s or 1990s. So without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest. My name is Melanie Chandler. I grew up in Long Island, specifically a town called Westbury. I, um, I lived there for most of my life, um, but... I, there was a period when I left and I moved to Florida. So I lived in Florida for about a year and a half. It wasn't really the best. My parents didn't love it. We moved down there and it was an adventurous move. Um, starting a business didn't pan out. So we returned back to New York. So I'm basically a New Yorker. I currently reside in Queens, New York. Um, nice little area named Rochdale Village. So that's where I am currently living today. Thank you. And would you describe yourself as Black or African-American or how do you identify? So it's, it's, it's an interesting question because I would say either, um, either or both. So when I'm identifying myself, I usually speak Black. Like I say, I'm Black or yes, I'm Black. When I'm typing or I'm writing, I typically don't type Black. I usually type out African-American. So I think it's interchangeable. Um, I think for the specifics of cultural, I more lean towards Black. And, and the reason being is my family is from Jamaica, the islands. So, you know, they're not necessarily American. And I have identified with that, even though it's still African-based, it's not necessarily African-American only. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird place to sit but both I usually find easily um identifiable so know your family's from Jamaica my mom is from Jamaica oh look at that I think Jamaicans are everywhere so 
Yes. Permeate the earth. So we're everywhere. So yeah. Absolutely. So so now let's talk about your experience living and working and if you going to school during the pandemic in 2020 and then 2021. So it was interesting for the timing of the um, pandemic or 2020, say. Now, the reason I say it was interesting for me specifically, I had been laid off from a job in 2019. And I'm, I'm pointing to this because it was so significant in what happened in 2020. When I was laid off in 2019, I worked in HR tech. So when I was laid off, I wasn't concerned fully about finding another job. I was more angling to find a specific type of role, meaning a virtual role, remote work. Um, I have a, a daughter, she plays competitive tennis. So it was super important for me to find the role that allowed me that flexibility to be anywhere. Um, and I had been in contact and networked with a previous colleague who had long left the job, the, the, the company that I had been laid off from, but he was in communication with me and he was like, there is a new company coming up, 100% virtual. I think you'd be great for a certain role. Long story short, I started February, 2020. So the timing was ideal because as we all know, the world was tilted on its axis the very next month. And so I was secure in employment and it didn't matter where I worked. I mean, I lived because I could just do everything virtual. So I didn't commute. That eliminated a lot of that fear and anxiety as the world was starting to build up, like, you know, in New York, I, again, reminding, I do live in New York, so commuting to me would require Manhattan, which is New York City. And I didn't have to do any of that. Um, the world pretty much shut down. And by March of 2020, I had now been at this company for a month. The company was based in California, which was also another heavily hit um, state. And it just really didn't change much because we were online company. We did education. I work for a um, company that does education and tech. So engineering, web development. So that's already based on your computer, on your laptop. So it's not something you need to physically go into any building. So I was sort of unscathed from that point. However, living in Queens, New York, it is densely populated and it was obviously a hot spot. Um, unfortunately, and I live in a, a cooperative, so it was many units. Elevator was the source of getting up and down and many um, door entrances on your floor. So there is that level of trepidation where you're like, well, I might be safe in my home, but every time I leave, I have to be aware of who was in the elevator, who was you know, on the floor, wiping everything. So my family, my husband and I and our daughter decided that around April, 2020, to leave and kind of temporarily reside in North Carolina. It was duly purposed because we, at that point, I, as I said, I already had in the role I could be anywhere. My daughter, her school was online. I think every child in New York City or in the country, basically the world was online schooling. So we went where we would have freedom of movement and a little bit more fresh air. And it was in a home, it's in a house and it was in my mother-in-law's house. So there was not the fear of elevator um, 
or moving through a building down through each section and, you know, becoming, um, you know, in harm's way potential of this virus that was so terrifying at that point. So especially being in New York where there were body bags, unfortunately, in trucks and it was just, the deaths were just escalating. Mm -hmm. We went to North Carolina, we were there and it felt like a reprieve. We were able to bike ride because again, it's country life. And my daughter was able to continue playing tennis. That's a very pivotal point of her life. So it was outside, it was warm, seemed like a really good decision. Now, of course, when you are trapped inside as the world realized and felt, you do get an edge of cabin fever. And so that started to happen and not just for us, but for other family members. So we were there with our mother-in-law who unfortunately, she's a traveler. So she loves to get out and get around. Right. So this was a lot for her. Now she was happy that we were there because it's like, oh, people are in the house. We were safe. We did not bring any disease or I'm sorry, virus to her. So she was happy to have the company. Um, but she still wanted that element. So towards, I'd say we were there at that point for like two months. And then June, end of June, July 2020, she decides to unfortunately travel to Mississippi, just to you know, she and her sister. And my husband at the time was like, I don't think that's a good idea given the world and the, where we are. And she was like, I think it's fine. We'll be super safe, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. And there was always that level of, I mean, I guess it's okay, but we weren't sure. We didn't go naturally. We just, we'll be here when you get back. And it was at that point when she returned the virus came back with her. Um, and so I contracted the virus from that trip, not necessarily her specifically, it could have been her sister, but it made its way into the house. Oh. And I remember she came back on a Friday and I missed her and I was like, oh, nice to see you, whatever. And she and I would talk a lot on the deck in the back. So we spent a lot of time in close quarters. Mm -hmm. And unlike my husband and my daughter, they, you know, were around, but they were always outside doing something. And again, this kind of speaks to my job. So I was kind of always in the house, hunkered down. They were outside getting fresh air. And I don't know if that made a difference, but uh, I say that, right. So I say that because I felt like I had heavy sinuses and I did not realize it. Didn't even connect the dots. I thought I was having like, oh, I have sinusitis. And I called my doctor and I was like, you know, it's really, I feel tired. You do not think I have COVID-19. You just, it was so terrifying at that point. You just, your mind, I think, doesn't even go there. So then my mother-in-law as well was sort of tired, lethargic. And I was like, huh. So Sunday night, and this is a very colorful part of the story, Sunday night, from the Friday she returned, my mother-in-law is not feeling well. My daughter would sometimes sleep in the room with her just to be closer to her grandma. And I said, you're, you know, your grandma's not feeling too well. Just sleep in your room or just, you can sleep in our room. And she was like, I want to sleep in your room. I'm going to just sleep with together. Okay, fine. So the visual is such that myself and my husband are in the bed. My daughter is on like another little bed pallet sleeping there. And at two o'clock in the morning, I got up because I just was feeling a little like tight and anxious. And I have what I call a lavender spray. And I usually spray it on my pillow to kind of put me at ease to go back to sleep. I sprayed and I didn't smell anything. 
and I sprayed and I sprayed to the point of saturation in my pillow. And I was like, this is unique. So I was touching it and I was like, wow, it's so wet. Then I jumped up and I said, why can't I smell it? And it was like the realization, because you hear loss of smell, loss of taste. And I was like, still wasn't there. I was like, no, 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 no. I jumped out of the bed. Now it's two o'clock in the morning and I have two of my family members sleeping on either side of me. I grabbed the sanitizer because that was everywhere, squeezed it in my hand and put it close to my face like that. And you know, that strong of a chemical, I didn't smell anything, but I started to cough and I was like, oh my goodness. So I ran downstairs, this is no, everyone's sleeping, went into the kitchen, grabbed some vinegar and just drank to, to see if I could taste it. I couldn't taste anything. It was like water. And I remember the feeling, it, it just washed over me. I mean, if I was, if I could lose color in my face, it, I'm sure I did. And I just slumped down and I was like, I think I have COVID-19. Now at that time, and still now I have asthma. It's seasonal, it's called cough variant asthma. So I'm <coughs> coughing now and it's like triggered because my airways are very sensitive. But in your mind, you think, I is this how I'm going to die? Like you really, the thought was immediate for me. And I just ran upstairs, grabbed the pillow and ran into a guest room and shut the door. Oh. And so the reason being, cause I was like, I have already slept in this room. I don't know if I've already exposed them, but I have to isolate. That's what you're taught, isolate, quarantine. And I text my husband. And then so in the morning he got it and he was just like, are you serious? My mother-in-law at that point, now it's Monday. She wakes up, she's lethargic. I don't feel well. I'm having trouble breathing. I was like, here it is. Here it is. It's in our house. So she said, I'm going to have it take a test. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, absolutely. Went, got the swab. At the time, it took many days. You know, it wasn't so rapid. And I just isolated and I couldn't sleep. I didn't. Thankfully, though, I'll be honest, I didn't have the worst case scenario, like I wasn't on the bad end of the spectrum where I couldn't breathe and I had to sit up and I you know, had to be intubated. Like it wasn't anything like that. For me, I think like the strain I got might've been slight and I literally just lost smell, taste, had anxiety, couldn't sleep and it went away. In by the time I got the results, my taste started to come back, which was Thursday. And I said, you're positive. And the realization of that scared me, but I was like, but I'm getting my taste back. So I felt like I was on the mend. And but my mother-in-law, she's elevated in age. She's say 70, at the time she was 71. And I was just concerned. I had an, a friend in an emergency room doctor in that town. And I said, what do we do? And she said, get her oral, um, oxygen tested and make sure she's testing that and keep her up. And then her oxygen was dropping. And then the, the, the concern shifted away from me because I felt I was in the clear to her. But the anxiety in the house was so heavy. You don't walk away from it because here it is. It's my husband's mother. He has so much anxiety. His wife has it. His mother has it. She's ill and his daughter. So there's all these fem, you know, female variables in his life that are very important to him. And he has to be the martyr. And he's like, I'm trying to be strong, but you could see the, the weight of it. We had family down the street. They didn't come by. They were like, no, they had a family member in the house that was just recovering from cancer. So there were so many fears that it was like, 
you cannot even play around. Like we must get our mother help. There was arguments where I said, she needs to go to the hospital. And they were like, the brother was like, no, you can't take her to the hospital. They don't come out, you know, that whole fear. So my experience was one of, I don't want to use the word luck because it seems cold, but I was lucky. But it still gave me thoughts of like final days. Like I had to come to terms with not being around for my daughter. Did I make a bad decision coming here? I should have stayed in New York. I mean, you have all of this regret. And while you're going through the waiting period, it's the waiting period that was the longest four days of my life, that Monday through Thursday, and just being isolated. And hearing the stories, seeing the numbers, the ticker on CNN, just increasing of deaths. And it was just all of this gloom and doom. So it didn't help to heal my healing process. So I had to go within. I had to really go within. I had to find positive thoughts. I had to make sure that I knew if I did perish, that my husband would take care of my daughter. Like I went there. And the other side of it was not feeling anger towards my mother-in-law because we distinctly said it is not the time to go and yet here we are. And so it took some healing for our family. Um, I never overtly said to her, I am so mad at you because I never felt that. I felt sorry for her mm. and you could tell she felt guilty. Mm. Um, but ironically, it made us even closer. So she survived it. She's still here. She's great. She's strong. Um, so we had triumphant stories from COVID-19. A lot of people did not. My husband lost two friends to it and it changes you, you know? Um, and I mean, my experience was just that. I, I, I have to say I was lucky. I am here to tell, sitting here, talking to you and being able to share my experience. But I remember it being a very dark time when I was going through it, so. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. I'm just taking it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, reliving it, I, I remember. I could see everything. I could remember that night. I, you know, it's funny what your mind does. It stores things in your brain. And then when you recall them, you're like, wow, oh, I remember that moment. It was terrifying. Oh, wow. Thank you, Melanie. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm happy to share because I'm sure everyone's stories wane from light to very heavy. And, you know, if I can come away, being able to share my story, you know, people tend to say, oh, well, you survived it. You're fine. Yeah, but it does something to you. You know, you, you, you experienced it at a time in the world that will never be forgotten. I mean, it's going down in history books. You know, it's like this was a disease, I'm sorry, a virus that impacted every single person. I don't care, rich, not so rich, you know, senior, young, whatever culture, whatever race, it impacted all of us. And everyone has a story. Everyone has a variation of that story. And my experience was just, as I shared, was not easy, but I'm here to tell it. And I'm happy that I was able to, you know, share that. So. I really appreciate you sharing it. And this is what, uh -huh. yeah, this is why it's so important for me so that people in history, when they look back, they will hear the history from our own voices and not yeah. what 
the news or the media or what people think <laughs> happened because everybody likes to talk about the black community, the black community, but like our people was yeah, yeah. so and 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 we're not a monolith. So it's like it's 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 a situation where you know we they they like to group us like I'm like no everybody has different stories, different experiences. So yeah, this is really important work like I said in the beginning and and I'm honored to have been asked to speak and share and you know, it's not a it's not a point of shame. You know, there are some people that feel like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I mean, I, people say, you, I remember when I would tell people, oh, they were like, oh man, you know, this COVID and this, and I was like, I actually had it. And they were like, oh, you had it? And they're like, and I'm like, it's okay. I mean, I get it. There's a fear, you know, for it, but I said, I had it. So it's not like I have it, but you know, so, but I'm not ashamed. Some people were not willing to share that they had it. There is a, there's a stigma to it for some. And I didn't understand that, but. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I caught it in 2022 this year, the end of January, beginning of February. Mm -hmm, And even mm -hmm. that's kind of stigmatized. Like I started working in person, taking the subway, taking the bus. It's like, oh, like you got COVID. Although a lot more people are getting the Omicron variant, but you're right. Two years ago and a year ago, it was very heavily negatively stigmatized. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And here we are able to tell, talk about it. We both experienced it, whatever variation, whatever form, but we're here to talk about it. So, I mean, so yeah. Thank you. That was, I was on the edge of my seat. Thank you for sharing that. I'm (laughs) glad that you're well. Yes, thank you. Your your husband. Yes. Thank you you so much, Sonia. And I, I wish you all the best and I wish you well with this project. It's going to be phenomenal. And thank you again for asking and I'm happy to have shared. So let's go with this project. Moment in time. (laughs) We'll be in touch. Thank you. Okay. No problem. Great time. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is my oral history project, Black America and COVID. Thank you.